Chapter Sixteen of The Green Overcoat by Heller Ballock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Sixteen, in which cross-examination is conducted on echelon, and if you don't know what that means, I can't help you. Cheerful, more than cheerful, all smiles. Mr. Kirby was standing at midnight upon the arrival platform of the great station at Ormiston as the night mail came in. He saw the slender figure of a young man whose every gesture betrayed an absurd anxiety coming bewildered up from the end of the train and looking about him as though seeking a face. It was a fine cordial welcome that greeted James Macaulay, not in the least what he had expected. He was enormously relieved my dear mr macaulay said the lawyer with a fine generosity of impulse and in the heartiest of tones how very good of you to come i confess i was very much in doubt whether you would understand the urgency of my message at such short notice you see he added lying expansively they cut us off yes said jimmy thinking that explained all it was a terrible nuisance pattered on mr kirby as he led the boy outside to a cab. That's the worst of the telephone. It's a great help in one way, but why, you haven't brought a bag. No, said Jimmy. I shall go back by the night mail. As you will, my dear sir, said the lawyer. He gave the address of his house, and they drove off. When they got into the study and were served with drink, Jimmy remembered his anxieties. He considered that imperative message and that hurried journey. The business must be very urgent indeed. He was the more certain of it as he watched Mr. Kirby's face change to an expression more settled and less familiar. As Mr. Kirby said nothing, Jimmy volunteered another remark. I was giving young Bressington a dinner, he said. Perhaps you know him. He was at King's with me. Mr. Kirby said nothing. He belongs to this town added jimmy mr kirby opened fire in a grave and measured voice mr macaulay he said i know that you know young mr brassington the words seemed to have a little more meaning than jimmy liked i am an intimate friend of mr brassington senior we think a good deal of him in ormiston mr macaulay jimmy crossed his legs leant back in his chair sipped his wine and put on an unconcerned man-of-the-world visage not unlike that of a criminal about to be hanged. Mr. Kirby, with his head thoughtfully poised upon the fingers of his right hand and looking steadily away from Jimmy's face, said, Yes, we know Mr. Bressington, and we respect him highly. Jimmy could bear the tension no longer. What is it you want to say to me about Greystones? he said suddenly. Oh, yes, Greystones, said Mr. Kirby, of course. But your mention of the Brassingtons made me turn my mind to that sad loss Mr. Brassington has had. I dare say his son told you. I'm afraid he can't recover, but the bank admits it's a forgery. Forgery? shrieked Jimmy. It suddenly occurred to him that Booby's fiendish father had discovered an awfully effective line of attack. Well, well, said Mr. Kirby. That's not business. Of course, I shouldn't have troubled you, as I have about other people's business. 
but about greystones mr macaulay the trouble is of course i do not blame you but you will see you are legally responsible well the trouble is that after you left the place painting weren't you i think we found the studio in well in an odd condition and you see he went on shifting his position and still conversational between you and me the owner of the house is a little why almost a little odd mr kirby smiled as he proceeded it's not my business to talk about one client to another he said but you'll understand me fact is it really sounds too ridiculous and i did what i could to stop him but you will understand why i telephoned he said he'd summons you tomorrow he says it's twenty-one pounds jimmy heard not a word he was thinking of vastly more important things mr kirby continued of course i would have paid and communicated with you afterwards mr macaulay mr kirby laughed professionally you are legally responsible whoever it was got in and did the harm the time isn't up you see and you know the absurdity of the thing is that a man can issue a writ like that why bless you you can go and buy a pair of boots on credit and find the writ waiting for you when you get home it's ridiculous but it's the law jimmy's face was hot and his eyes were too bright it was not a forgery mr kirby he said not a what said mr kirby looking up with a fine affectation of confusion i'm not talking about that mr macaulay really poor brassington's loss is none of our business but if you're interested and if you're going to see young brassington you might tell him that his father's put the whole thing in my hands and i am going to have details of the check and who it was made out to tomorrow by post at my office mr kirby said jimmy in the most agitated of voices i solemnly swear to god that the check was not forged really mr macaulay said mr kirby i don't see what you have to do with yes but you will see interrupted jimmy bitterly you will see tomorrow morning come come said mr kirby i can't have all this unofficial information it isn't fair you know not fair to my position as a lawyer if only you'll let me know about that little sum for damages of greystone since the landlord is so mr kirby burst out the unfortunate james the matter will not brook a moment's delay that check mr brassington's check the check you say was forged was made out to me what shouted mr kirby springing to his feet that check mr kirby went on james firmly was made out to me i passed it through the bank and i have that money in my bank at least a good deal of it and i have paid it away my part of it nearly all to my creditors then he remembered again that melba would have to pay for the dinner but it was very small comfort mr kirby drew a prolonged breath really my dear sir he said yes mr kirby continued jimmy to me i have passed it into my account and i have dispersed the money i am not ashamed of it and i will answer for it to any man it was the payment of a just debt and it was given to me by mr brassington himself there my dear mr macaulay began kirby again i'm telling you the plain truth and i have witnesses who can go into the box and swear 
not all that wretched snivelling old fellow can do an old friend mr macaulay said mr kirby suavely an old friend well compromised jimmy i will say puritan not all that old puritan's money can get over the plain facts we can swear to it both of us the place and the time it was the morning after and it was at greystones the morning after what said mr kirby tuesday the morning after that party of course exactly a week ago the date's on the check and what's more mr kirby i have mr brassington's letter signed by him on that occasion and admitting the debt and his payment of it really said mr kirby indeed this is most astonishing he was there said jimmy in that ridiculous green overcoat of his and he pulled the check-book out of his pocket at least it was in his pocket corrected jimmy with a careful fear of tripping up over a verbal inaccuracy where the law was concerned he tried to get out of it but we wouldn't have it mr kirby and so and so he paid you are perfectly certain it was mr brassington said mr kirby no manner of doubt in the world said jimmy calmly we got him to come with us as he left the party and we put it before him and as i tell you he did hesitate but he paid at last and it was a just debt i may as well tell you mr kirby it was his son's debt we had lost more than that to our friend in the past and we paid honorably and we weren't going to be welched after all mr macaulay said mr kirby after a little thought i have asked you if you are sure it was mr brassington and the thing is important was he a tall rather lanky man with a nervous way with him and loosely dressed did he thrust his hands into his pockets did he try to talk about philosophy or his being a philosopher or something of that sort had he very large feet yes i think said jimmy reminiscently yes he was tall and spare and he was nervous distinctly even violently you might say yes he had very large feet very and he said something about being a professor of philosophy and at first he had his hands in his pockets but afterwards you know well well look here said mr kirby thoughtfully it was mr brassington as you say tall and square and very nervous and on that philosophy crank which is king charles's head to him and in that green overcoat of his oh it must have been him all right but why didn't you go to his house and ask him for the cash what's all this business about greystones jimmy kept silent at last he said that's his business mr kirby and he can tell you that end of the story well look here said mr kirby i have really no right to get anything of this sort out of you it's the truth said jimmy yes i know said mr kirby but you have to be starting for that night mail and he mused i tell you what i'll stop that ridiculous business about greystones in the morning i've got to go up to town do you think you could see me tomorrow in town what with your father's public position and mr brassington's mr macaulay it's much better to have the whole of that other thing out in private couldn't you come early and stay to dine yes said jimmy rising to go i could but wait a minute 
I promised my father to go to a big lecture. He wants me to take my sister. Where? said Mr. Kirby carelessly. At the research club, said Jimmy. Don't know who's giving it. It's about ghosts. It'll be over by six. Where will you be stopping? I shall be at the Rockingham Hotel, said Mr. Kirby, helping the young man on with his coat as they stood at the door. It's close to where the research club meets, and I'll expect you any time from six o'clock onwards. I shan't go out. Good night, he said heartily, shaking Jimmy's hand with all the confidence in the world. I don't understand it yet, but you're both honorable men, and I fancy there's been some mistake. Jimmy reserved his opinion and went off to his train. The lawyer went back into his study, knelt on the floor, lifted the lid of the ottoman with his right hand, put the fingers of his left hand upon the open underlip of that piece of furniture to steady himself, and gazed quizzically and sadly at the green overcoat. A beast, he said. A fate-bearing, disreputable beast. But even as he said it, the heavy lid slipped from the palm of his right hand. He had but just time to withdraw his left hand before it crashed down. Mr. Kirby got up a little shakily. He was a man of imagination, and he winced internally as he thought of crushed fingers. "'Try that on again,' he murmured, wagging his head savagely at the green overcoat where it basked hidden within the ottoman. Try that on again, and I'll rip you up. With that, he switched off the light and made his way to bed, maturing his plans for tomorrow. But he rather wished he had some outhouse or other in which to hide the garment. He felt a little afraid of all sorts of things, for instance, fire. End of chapter 16